Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Department 12 podcast. My guest today is Tiffany Peppelman. Tiffany, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. So start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background. Absolutely. So in terms of my background, I would say the biggest, uh, you know, largest theme is learning and development. I've been a consultant for over seven years now and have dabbled both with internal consulting as well as external consulting. Um, so early in my career, when I left graduate school, I worked for a small consulting firm to build training uh, programs for larger mm-hmm. clients, then shifted gears and, and did a little bit of work with the military building training technologies, which was a lot of fun, and then um, started to pivot this last few years into internal consulting and uh, previously worked at Google, working within their people development team, doing metrics and evaluation, Mm -hmm. and then shifted gears to where I am today, and I'm working at LinkedIn, and I am the EMEA sales effectiveness lead for marketing solutions. So, um, yeah, kind of changed it up quite a bit, but I think there's that common thread, as I said, just learning. So you've had a, a pretty um, a pretty varied career so far. It, it's it's really interesting how many different places and different kinds of environments you've worked in. What have you learned about yourself and what you really want to do in that time? Yeah, it, exactly. It's so interesting, right? Because sometimes I think people think, oh, it's so different. You've really changed a lot. But ultimately, it's always trying to satisfy this, you know, how do we change human behavior? How do we really help people grow and evolve? And as I've been throughout, you know, these different roles and worked with various companies and clients, I just continue to come back to this intersection between learning and technology. I absolutely love, you know, the opportunities we have today with learning tech. Um, Social media has had a huge impact in my life in the way that it's led to uh, my tip column that I write um, with Evan Seiner now and been writing that for the last four years. I've also done a lot with PSYOP in the community to just help elevate our brand. So Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty amazing that I find myself today working at LinkedIn. Um, Just It was such a great match in terms of a mission and vision for, for who I am and what I stand for. But it always comes back to intersection of learning technology as well as really bridging the gap between research and practice, um, that's mm. when you'll find I get the most excited. That's very cool. So speaking of bridging this gap between uh, research and practice, that's that's kind of the topic that we have today, which is conducting experiments at work. So I, I know why I conducted an experiment um, and, and why, I, why I do that from an academic standpoint, but you conduct experiments at work, so true experiments. So what brought that on? What motivated you to try that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it goes back to our graduate school teachings, right, doing these research uh, practices, and often it's pretty challenging to try to have a, a true isolated experiment because hmm. um, it can be quite messy in the applied world. But it's not to say that we can't learn things about what works, and especially from a learning and development standpoint, I'm always trying to find new ways to engage the sales team that I train. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little bit of a context that are, I, you know, at LinkedIn, in EMEA, I am a team of one. So I often have to get very creative with yeah. how I, you know, get the team to retain information. I think all of us are, are pretty much bogged down with emails and distractions that, you know, I'm just always looking for a new innovative way to get their attention and also, you know, better ways to align them so that they kind of leverage that competition element to keep them guessing. Mm-hmm. And so that's ultimately what's led to my most recent experiments uh, at LinkedIn. And yeah, it's just 
I think it's just trying new things and, and seeing what works, but in a very structured way, which is, yeah. you know, been really helpful. So very cool. So you, you piqued my curiosity here. Uh, you've talked about conducting an experiment. You want to find out what works or what works better and about, um, sort of sparking competition uh, among groups. So can you just tell us about uh, your most recent experiment and what it was all about? Yeah, absolutely. So when I mentioned earlier technology, I'm in a place where I don't necessarily get a chance to build ones from ground up, right? So I'm mm. always leveraging off-the-shelf vendors. And okay. one in particular uh, is called QStream. And QStream is a fascinating tool to me that has just absolutely changed the game in the way that the sales team gets excited and, and it really makes them want to learn more. I have it's one of these things that it like really changes people and it gets them engaged in a new way. So it's essentially a mobile app, um, desktop mm-hmm. solution that provides questions, uh, multiple choice questions or scenario based ones more in a, a structured over time um, way. And so by doing this, I basically run my training and then I use a QStream to reinforce concepts. But when I first launched this tool, I really wasn't sure how the teams would respond in the way of if I put them in a, a typical pod who they work with, these, these partner groups that they work with daily versus if I get them to compete at a country level, mm-hmm. would one of them get them to compete a little more or engage a little more. And so what I did is I'd created essentially two samples um, mm-hmm. with those two groups that I just described, um, assigned them the same questions and set up what I thought my hypotheses would be. And essentially a pod, um, the groups that work together daily, I thought they would definitely have been more unified and engaged yeah. over time. But it was interesting after I got the results, um, I was completely wrong, but that was okay because in the end, it got what I wanted. It was able to get them to think differently and got them engaged. So it was a fun way to test, you know, how to separate them. And it was allowed me to learn. So over time, I could use that that knowledge later to how I structure my training efforts. Yeah, it's very cool. And it's a pretty, you know, classic experimental design here. I think everybody listening can probably figure out how you set it up and the research design and everything. But just to clarify, the outcome was it was almost like the Olympics. People were more motivated to to earn points or, or to do better for their country than they were for their work teams. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was just something about the way that they felt more connected. <laughs> um, so the, the variables I looked at just to see what impact it would have is engagement. So did they actually use it? How much did they learn over time? What were their proficiency? What was mm-hmm. the proficiency increase? How many points did they earn per team? And then the time to completion. So I had multiple variables that I, I kept track of. But yeah, absolutely. It was huh. something about, you know, competing together as one country against another definitely was, was much higher results than I, I would have expected. That's, yeah, that's really fascinating. So my next question has to do with maybe some advice that you could give IOs out there because, you know, you you talked about our graduate training. So we we have a pretty good idea generally of how to, you know, design research and all of that kind of thing. But generally it's in sort of an academic context. So how do we transfer those skills to the workplace? What what advice would you give us for conducting experiments in the place where we work? Absolutely. I think it comes down to picking your big bets is the first thing I always recommend to teams, even internally. But, you know, where do you anticipate investing your time to see the Mm -hmm. biggest reward? 
and <laughs> really picking where you have, I mean, we know we need good sample sizes, of course, but, yeah. you know, where is it that if you do show an impact and a gain that the business will stand behind you and want to really make a shift with you in the, in the technology you use to the process you implement? So, <laughs> you know, think about what's really aligned to business priorities and objectives from the leadership level and then, you know, focus there. And I, I'd say the hmm. second thing is, you know, keep an eye out for the time of year. You know, for hmm. a sales team, typically the end of quarter is not going to be a good time because they're trying to close their books, right? They're focusing yeah. on numbers. Um, there's also beginning of the year where there's a lot of planning underway. So there's probably pockets of windows you know in your business that you have to avoid or you should mm-hmm. so that you can get the most out of the, the time spent. So that would be the second thing is just, you know, right time. And then I, I'd say don't, you know, try to shift to this whole new process or radical approach to doing something differently, but rather look at smaller opportunities that you can demonstrate change and impact and take your leadership, take your management on a journey with you. You know, I think people are very reluctant to change. And so if you just try to optimize for one piece of an area that you can improve, um, it's easier to get buy-in along the way and, hmm. you know, people can get excited. Otherwise, they might get a little bit, you know, concerned about trying to change things all at once. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I I really liked your first point about picking the big bets to invest in. I think as you learn research as a graduate student, you're taught that, oh, you know, you should pick something to study that is going to make some contribution to theory. But I can see how you'd want to adapt that in the work environment to say, okay, well, what's going to give me the most leverage? What's going to make the biggest difference for the company that I work for? Absolutely. And I think there's a lot to be said, too, about just getting buy-in and really making sure that you've got people standing behind you Mm -hmm. so that you can, you know, educate them along the way of how these experimental approaches can help us learn. Um, You know, I tend to try things out on a regional basis. And then if it works for, say, my region in EMEA, I then, you know, will cascade the knowledge and learning to my other regions and then they might adopt it, which I've seen happen. So it's, it's again, it's always just nice to try it with a group who's also a little bit more, ex- has an experimental mindset. Mm-hmm. I find there are sales team members and other end users who want to try something different. You know, they, they like change a little bit. So yeah. you know, find that pocket, find the people that are passionate with you and, you know, try something new. That makes a ton of sense. What um, ethical concerns do you run into? Or is it different when you're conducting research within a company versus, you know, conducting research, you know, as an academic? Yeah, I think something that probably holds true is always just getting people on board, especially in a, in a workplace. HR is the one that I think is absolutely critical to keep in mm-hmm. mind, especially yeah. when we're collecting unique data on employees. Um, you know, I, again, I work in Europe, so we have a lot of um, privacy and workplace counsel reviews and just a lot of stricter employee laws, right? So it's important that I do get that sign off, that they understand what I'm trying to do um, and, you know, how I'm going to protect that data. And and that way it's just you're covering your basis. Sure. That's, I think that's the case for any of us, really. Uh, and then the, the second piece I think that's interesting is incorporating third-party tools. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody listening who does, in fact, want to try a new learning technology or some kind of off-the-shelf solution, there is a process usually to get it reviewed by legal, just to get it integrated, uh, which can take some time. And so you'll want to build in, um, you know, some, some runway for that. But, you know, if you do your proper reviews, you get the right people involved, you know, all's well, and you can, you know, work on your experiment. 
let's say I'm doing an experiment. Um, I've followed, you know, some of your advice that you gave earlier. I'm doing everything ethically. I've got HR involved. I've conducted the experiment. I have my results. Who is it that I should be presenting these results to? And, you know, like, how do I, I guess, adapt what I'm presenting for uh, a business audience versus, you know, a professor or a review board? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think communication starts before the experiment starts. Mm. And so I, I always recommend, you know, starting by saying, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the setup. Here's what I expect, the results I expect to see, the business metrics I'll be looking at. Uh, okay. It doesn't have to be revenue necessarily, business metrics. But mm-hmm. I could have said, and then what I did say was, you know, I expect that the engagement levels will be higher or the proficiency level of the employees will be, you know, higher. And so I had wrote those down to say, here's what I'm tracking against. It also gave myself and my leadership and my management space to say, well, you know, what do you think some of the results might be or what are you hoping to look for? And that way, getting them to kind of contribute some thoughts in advance can also allow you to follow up and say, hey, so based on what you thought we'd see, here's what the results were. So, again, it's that kind of set up, getting everyone on board, and then I typically launch it. And when I launch, you know, keep people excited on the journey. So you're like, hey, we're off to the races. Everything's good. Um, here's where we are. Here's when you can expect to see the results. So it's just a very slow kind of, you know, but keeping them in the loop along the way, I find is super beneficial. So then at the end, mm-hmm. it's, you know, an email that says, hey, here's what we found. And so it's, yeah, it's a process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're you're setting up the foundation, keeping them involved and in the loop from the very start, then when you're presenting the results, they already kind of know what it is that they're looking at. And in, in terms, mm-hmm. I was going to say just in terms of your formatting, one thing I find it's very different in the business versus, you know, when we were more academic mm-hmm. research is, you know, a, a three slider, it, you know, putting together three summary slides of findings is usually plenty. It doesn't typically require a lot of write up um, because I find a lot sure. of business leaders, they just need short, quick to the point. Yeah. Um, so I have found that I can incorporate more visuals. I still, of course, incorporate graphs and bar charts and things where it's necessary, but mm-hmm. I do find that the presentation itself or the, the summary to give back um, does look a little different, uh, but it's all the same core information. Well, and the really nice thing has got to be no APA formatting. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us something about you that we wouldn't guess if we met you at PSYOP or we're looking at your LinkedIn profile. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. We always say, what's one thing not on your LinkedIn profile? (laughs) So something you probably wouldn't know is the first time that I ever visited Europe was actually when I moved to Europe. So (laughs) I just hadn't had a chance yet to get over here and, and, you know, uh, visit anywhere yet. But my husband and I had the opportunity to move first. So we took it. And when I landed on the ground, it was my first time here. So it's, yeah, it's been an adventure. Absolutely love it and love traveling wherever and whenever I can. I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed having you on as a guest. I think that that, you know, the little fact about you says a lot about you. You know, you take risks um, and they're, they're really paying off for you. So I, I just wanted to thank you for being here. I will link to your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter profile out on the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Tiffany, you can check out the show notes. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ben. 